Welcome to the Respublica podcast, the Juneteenth edition, now with 100% more dad. Uh, Lyndon won't be able to join us right now because he has a newborn baby girl. Congratulations, so, Lyndon. That's right. So our dad influence has increased 100%. <laughs> Uh, but with me today is the beautiful, the talented, the newly minted PhD, Dr. Michelle Gruy. Hello, everyone. And today we are going to talk about our new national holiday. Dr. Gruy, what is our new national holiday? Juneteenth. Yes, Juneteenth is our new national holiday, which has been a state holiday in the state of Texas since 1980. Um, we're going to go into detail as to what is Juneteenth, why it's important, and why we're dedicating a show specifically for it today on the Respublica podcast. Michelle, how you been? I've been okay. I'm done with this, my first school year as a faculty member, so I'm exhausted but excited. Well, you're also exhausted because you finally defended your thesis, right? Yeah, so I defended my thesis back in September, but I finally just got to walk this past couple weeks. Yeah, so the whole arduous ordeal, the birthing of her PhD ribbon, they give you a ribbon, right? like a hood they give you a hood yeah. so you're full on emperor palpatine <laughs> yes. now every june right oh yeah yeah okay. i've got all the regalia excellent um we're here to talk about juneteenth so i'm just going to go over history background on the significance of juneteenth which is short for june 19th which marks the day when federal troops arrived in galveston texas in 1865 to take control of the state and ensure that all enslaved people will be freed. Upon arrival, the federal troops recognized that there were some laborers on the docks that were unaware of their freedom. On that day, U.S. General Gordon Granger stood on Texas soil and read General Order Number 3, quote, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. Now, can you imagine that moment in history where you heard this man, who was a Union soldier, now in Texas, of Texas being a member of the defeated Confederacy. Yes. Would you drop what you were doing at that point? <laughs> and like you had this heavy bag over your shoulders, you were pushing this cart, you were filling mm -hmm. up this cart, and you suddenly heard the news, well, you're free now. It's honestly, I, you know, me personally, because I'm a rule follower, I would be like, wait, is this real? Yes. <laughs> is this in fact actually happening? Indeed. And it, it, it took a while to convince the population that indeed it was true that one, the Confederacy did lose. Second, that Lincoln had freed the slaves through the Emancipation Proclamation two years before the conclusion of the Civil War and that Lee had surrendered at Appomattox. The three incredible truths were uh, revealed to the citizens of Texas, both free and not free, on June 19th of 1865. Yeah. And I think it's a teachable moment because we're all parents, and by the way, we're all parents of biracial children. Yeah. It's important that we record this on Father's Day because fathers are burdened with the unenviable task of you know, communicating unfavorable truths to our children. Yeah. And one of those truths that I have to communicate to my son in the future, for a certain amount of time, not everyone in the United States was free and not everyone was equal. And exactly. we're moving towards, as Martin Luther King called, a more perfect union mm -hmm. and society. 
So Dr. Grui, as an yes. educator, why is Juneteenth important? Well, what I think really makes Juneteenth important is that it, it does in fact show that we can be part of a union that is making itself more perfect. And that, um, and you know, it's interesting because obviously Martin Luther King referenced that phrase quite often, but it's in the preamble of the Constitution. And so when we think about, you know, our founding documents as a nation and how they were inherently faulty in the sense that they, you know, they were based off of this dependent, you know, Declaration of Independence that all men were created equal. And yet we had the three-fifths compromise saying that people like my ancestors were not even allowed to vote themselves, but their body counted as three-fifths of a vote for a white person. And so, well, a white, you know, landowning person at the time. <laughs> but um, Not even all know, white people were free. Exactly. Not even right? all white people were, not, were equal. Exactly. No, Irish, really shout out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's really interesting about it in terms of Juneteenth is that um, it really speaks to something that has been true throughout the black experience in America, which is that we celebrate things even when other people don't realize the value of what we're celebrating, um, whether that's in our food or our hair um, or if it's in a holiday that most people didn't know existed um, until recently. Um, it's, you know, we know what's valuable to us in, within our community and we take the time to celebrate it. And I think that that's something that, you know, people who are new to Juneteenth um, can, can take on for themselves to be thinking about not, not Juneteenth as like a new Cinco de Mayo. Um, oh, hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> um, necessarily, but, um, but as like genuinely a chance for us to be joyous because of our freedom in a way that was more free than, um, than we were on the 4th of July, all those many hundreds of years ago. And so that's, for me, that's the importance of Juneteenth. No, I, I want Juneteenth to take on as much cultural relevance as St. Patrick's Day and Cinco de Mayo, uh, because- I just don't want it to be as trashy. <laughs> What I just I'm looking for the specials, you know, like but specials on neck bones on collard greens. I would be okay with that. Peach cobbler. Really I'm, 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 I'm all, talking to you, Whole Foods. I, I'm all, yes, Whole Foods. You need to represent. In fact, there's a Whole Foods not too far away from where we are right now. I think mm-hmm. I should like check them out and see if they have any Juneteenth specials. But there is a great documentary on Netflix that we're going to yes. talk about, and please introduce it. It is called High on the Hog, and it basically introduces us to the connections of something that's called the African diaspora, which basically is just fancy talk for um, the connection from of the pathways from Africa to the rest of the world that, you know, frankly, both that used slaves, but also, or the enslaved, I should say. Um, even for the college professor, I have to like catch myself using new terms. Um, but um, so for those of you that are trying new terms, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> even those of us with the PhD mess it up. Um, so, but also people that are more new immigrants out of, um, out of Africa. And so, um, but with High on the Hog, it specifically looks at the food. So how are there connections between um, African food practices and then food practices not just um, in the South, but also in the North and in the, um, in the Southwest, um, where black people spread throughout their time in the United States. Um, and so it's really wonderful, the, 
I think the thing that makes it most exciting is really just that it does that mix of like honoring the things that are hard, but also honoring the things that are joyous and wonderful and frankly tasty. Um, you know, it's not a rain on your parade documentary. No, not at all. Um, so go ahead, George. And yes, anyone who has a uh, six or an eight year old knows the wonderful magical qualities of mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. This rectangular <laughs> object, whether it's yellow or blue, whether it's, um, you know, made with white cheddar or <laughs> that nuclear <laughs> orange that Anthony Bourdain describes so well on no, yes. no Reservations, has a magical power. It has a magical power to satiate yes. the desires and the activities of any eight or six-year-old. And it was developed on a plantation known as Monticello, mm-hmm. which was the residence of our third president, Thomas Jefferson. Yes. And there, the second episode deals with the history of mac and cheese. So mm-hmm. this food item that you have been eating ever since you were a child that you now feed to your children mm-hmm. was originally called macaroni or salad yes and it was developed by the brother of sally hemmings mm-hmm. and sally hemmings brother was a slave who was yes. trained by jefferson while he was secretary of state in paris mm-hmm. to learn how to become a gourmet chef yes in order was his name paul or tom or John? Oh, I honestly forget. Well, the brother, he, in order to gain his freedom, to mm-hmm. buy his way out of freedom, he had to yes. train his younger brother to replace him. So could you imagine, here you are, an enslaved person who will now train your younger sibling to remain an enslaved person in order to purchase your own freedom. Yeah. So the Hemings family made some damn good mac and cheese yes. because to this day they are still the caretakers of the plantation at Monticello which is part of the University of Virginia and um, to this day on this show you can see how they actually made macaroni salad which became the modern day mac and cheese out of a Dutch oven over an exposed fireplace yeah and it's really fascinating and well, I you know I encourage you very much to watch the episode because mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that they teach you in terms of how they make it that you can still use with your regular mm-hmm. um, methods of making mac and cheese. Yeah, and, and the reason we bring up high on the hog and Juneteenth in the same phrase is that these things are inseparable. You can't exactly. compartmentalize American history because American yes. history is part of our food and a large part of our food comes from enslaved people in the South Yes. And it does come from immigrants as well. I'm talking yep. to all you foodies, all you people that yes. make pictures and post it on Instagram. Oh, yeah. You know, have your Yelp reviews. Mm-hmm. You know, 120 some years ago, things were very, very different. Yes. You know, and uh, there were a lot of people that made that that didn't partake in the food that they made. They ended up with the scraps and they had to make a feast out of the scraps. Exactly. So, you know, be, it's kind of like think, Juneteenth in a sense, you know, if we make it an American holiday like any other American holiday, yeah. it's a celebration of food, but it's also a celebration of survival. Exactly. As well. So, and you know, a way of, of making survival something worth living, even exactly. when it's hard. Yeah. And something that you're willing to remember uh, about and, you know, thank your ancestors that they made yes. it through. Exactly. Yes. Now, everybody go out and make some mac and cheese, right? <laughs> um, Going forward, uh, as you 
are going to go into like a now now you're actually going to have like research assistants I, you know? yes, yes actual research you're assistants this have, spring i had four research assistants and, it was delightful and uh your your degree your doctorate was in afrofuturism right my doctorate was in education in education um, and then okay. my, my dissertation was on like higher ed research but um but the book that i'm in the process of writing is on how to teach afrofuturism and college oh courses. okay yeah so do you here's i mean i'm not trying to like pull it out of you like a no, charlie rose okay. interview <laughs> but do you think there'll be a segment dedicated to food like high on the hog because a lot of the a lot of these recipes were passed down through oral tradition oh yes and so you get to the second half of the second episode where it mm-hmm. talks about the food catering empire of Philadelphia, yes, where you exactly. had... No, I was literally making notes mm-hmm. in my journal that's like next to my bedside mm-hmm. as I was watching the episode, like, oh, I'm going to write a short story about this, and I'm going to write a short story about that, and oh, I'm going to quote this book and this book in this chapter that I'm writing. Yeah, so, exactly. So, yeah, no, definitely there will be... Because, I mean, that's just one of the things about when we think about Afrofuturism, um, you know, it's not just looking at like sci-fi with black people. Mm-hmm. It's looking at how do we re-see the past, the present, and the future through an unapologetically black lens. And so, um, thinking about it that way, it means you know when we're writing stories about you know Philadelphia in the 1920s or the 1890s that we are looking at like, well, what was wealthy black Philadelphia mm-hmm. like, right? That we're writing about. Tulsa, not just as its burning remains, but what was it like in its thriving heyday? Yeah. Um, and so it's not just looking at the, the future, but looking at the past, and then how can we bring that forward with us? Well, I mean, if you look at the, the Tulsa riots uh, as an event in history, yes. it's gotten that recognition. This did happen. This yes. did occur. It's like the fall Finally, of Constantinople yes. in 1353. Exactly. Yep. You know, it changed the course of Western civilization. Mm-hmm. What is interesting is not the fall of Constantinople, yes. but why Constantinople was so important. Exactly. All right. Mm-hmm. So for all my peeps, Constantinople was this huge city that sits on the Bosphorus, which is the mm-hmm. the small inlet between the Black Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Yes. You know, super important to this day. You know, shout out to Russia. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a warm water port. <laughs> now, the Trojan War was also fought there, yes. you know, in antiquity 6,000 years ago. Tulsa is important because it proves that you could have a black wall street you exactly. could have black wealth you could mm-hmm. have you know an independent you know entity outside of you yes. know that the, we don't need vibranium to make wakanda yeah you we don't need, need vibranium to make wakanda <laughs> all exactly. we need is black folks left the heck alone so we can get our business going yeah you need black folks loaning money to black, black folks, folks exactly you know, which, and the money exchanging within the community exactly um and enough you know time to allow that to grow because when we think about like okay so 1865 mm-hmm. um being when juneteenth was announced in galveston texas galveston texas really not very far from tulsa oklahoma and so when we think about that um, and it being, you know, like the 1920s through 40s when, and, you know, Tulsa's not alone in being a, a black wealthy city that was raised to the ground to allow for, you know, white expansion. Um, and so, you know, when you think about in New York and Detroit and Tulsa, these cities that were thriving black communities that end up getting erased, um, 
you know, when you have that, I mean, it's not like they immediately happened, right? 1865 to 1920 is enough generations of time mm -hmm. that you have people who were denied the right to be literate to be literate, right? You, you have enough time for people to, to actually have a passing on of generational wealth. And that's part of the problem that we have now. It's not necessarily that, like, you know... Um, I mean, part of the reason why people complain about, you know, well, that black person is successful, why can't that black person be, is because of the issues like generational wealth. You can have a community in, say, the outskirts of Washington, D.C., that's had time mm -hmm. and allowed to have been, mm -hmm. you know, brought into the middle class and then into the upper class, um, as long as it hasn't been interrupted. Well, with Tulsa and with Detroit and with neighborhoods in New York, you know, we have the neighborhoods that were interrupted. Right. And so then if you have like Flint is now basically a modern day version, they didn't literally burn it to the ground, but they may as well have. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we can't expect that 60 years from now, Flint's going to be a, an amazing metropolis, but it might have been if people had, you know, given no, them clean like drinking water. <laughs> Rome, Rome was in ruins throughout yes, the dark ages. For exactly, 600 years, exactly. Rome was in ruins. Yes. And it didn't even play a very central role in the Renaissance. The no, Renaissance it really didn't. all happened in northern Italy. Yes. The Rome was just north, yeah. the seat, you know, of the, the papacy. Mm -hmm. And to a large extent, exactly. modern day, Rome is just a tourist trap. Yeah. You know, um, but I don't know much about Afrofuturism, but I can posit this is that the secrets of the future lie in the past. If exactly. they could pull it off, exactly. you know, if the Hemings family, which yes. is the most successful branch of Thomas Jefferson's family tree, mm -hmm. which is the ironic part, right. you know, the, the, the black <laughs> African-American slave descendants yes. of Jefferson's family tree yeah. to this day are more successful mm -hmm. than his white descendants that died out. Yeah, that had every opportunity possible. That had every opportunity had, you know, a, a transgenerational wealth, yes. but like the Vanderbilts mm -hmm. squandered it all. Yep. Now their boy is on CNN, you know, yep. you know, not even making as much as his partner. No, exactly. You know? So, yo, the things happen. So that's the, the value of, you know, seeing everything in retrospect. I think the ability of being a parent is that you're able to see the world in small. Exactly. And, you know, give it to your kid in small pieces mm -hmm. that, hey, these are digestible pieces that you can exactly. take. And that's the role of a parent. And it's also the role of an educator is just exactly. give them enough so they can chew on it. Exactly. But that they don't completely choke on it. Because if you give them too much information, yes, you know, then it's too much. Yeah, we in, in education land, we call that the zone of proximal development, where um, if you give a child too little, mm -hmm. then they're not really paying attention, they're bored, whatever. Yeah. If you give them too much, then it's like overload, can't compute, can't take in any of it. Mm -hmm. But the zone of proximal development is the place in between where you're giving them just enough and in an interesting enough framing um, that they're like, yeah, okay, I can take on this and I can integrate it with what I already know. And then that continues to build and build. And of course, their zone rises. All right, there you go. The <laughs> zone of proximal development. You all been learned so you can <laughs> sound all fancy on your Zoom calls. Yeah, you can on call Monday. it the ZPD. The ZPD. <laughs> there you go. Um, do you have a parting shot? What do you want to do in the summer? What well, actually, I am going to Paris in July. Really? <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I took a leap of faith before um, Macron finally announced that Americans could go, and I just bought the tickets and rented an Airbnb, and thankfully I am going to be allowed in. Nice. Um, so I'm looking forward to just not having to work and just enjoy Paris and 
uh, and both ends of it, I'm going to enjoy all the beautiful history, but I'm also going to check out some of the like more hip modern neighborhoods and check out the African immigrant like neighborhoods and eat some really great African food. Yes. <sighs> Jollof rice. I'm so excited. Yes. There's a lot of really great African food. And ironically, the African food in Washington, D.C. is similar to the Af African food you can get in Washington, D.C. and in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. You well, know. because the communities yeah. are similar. Yeah, yeah. The communities are very similar. I envy you. It's yes. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank this you This is for a very me. short podcast and I hope you all enjoyed it. And we'll be back with you guys in the coming weeks.